Again, that's Exodus chapter 34. And before we get started, uh, restate, as Will said earlier, happy Mother's Day. Um, uh, so thankful uh, for this day that we can celebrate the moms out there. I know uh, uh, motherhood can be a thankless job sometimes, um, but it's so important. So thank you, mothers out there. Uh, with that said, as you can probably tell, I have a cold or allergies. I don't know what, but first service, I barely made it through. And I know you mothers are going to be on the, the edge of your seats wanting to bring up a throat lossage or tissue or something. <laughs> just relax. It's Mother's Day. I have everything I need. I might just look goofy up here. So, um, I'd also just like to thank everyone that came uh, yesterday uh, to do the uh, work day. Um, I was wanting to come with August, but um, I wanted to try to save my voice uh, for today. So we missed out on it. But thank you for all your work and making the church uh, look beautiful. So with that said, if you would stand for the reading of God's word this morning, we're going to be starting in verse 5. Exodus 34, verse 5. This is the word of the Lord. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquities and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting iniquities of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. And Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshipped, and he said, If now I have found favor in your sight, O Lord, please let the Lord go in the midst of us, for it is a stiff-necked people, and pardon our iniquities and our sin, and take us for your inheritance. Pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord God, we thank you, Lord. We thank you that your name means that you are gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. Forgiving iniquities, transgression, and sins, Lord, yet at the same time, you are just. You will by no means clear the guilty. Lord, God, I, I thank you for this passage. I thank you for this proclamation that you made to Moses and through Moses to the Israelites and, and through the Israelites and Moses in Scripture to us, Lord, that we get to know intimate details about who you are and what it means that you are Yahweh. Lord, I pray ultimately today as we walk through this passage that we would gain a, a better understanding of you, your character, your nature. But more than that, Lord, we see that your name points us to your son, Jesus. Be with us this morning in your son's name. Amen. <coughs> today we're going to be covering, I think, the two most important verses in the entire book of Exodus. And I would argue probably the two most important verses in the entire Old Testament. Exodus 34, 6 through 7, what we read. In fact, Exodus 34, 6 through 7 is really the reason why I wanted to preach through the book of Exodus to begin with so long ago. Um, I wanted to preach through Exodus because I believe the Old and New Testament just perfectly harmonize with each other 
which is clearly seen in this passage this morning. In fact, it's been clearly seen throughout the passages that have led up to this one. Today, God reveals his name and even the very name of God, Yahweh, B.C. Jesus. And so, there's three points of the sermon this morning. The request, the revelation, and the meaning. The request, the revelation, and the meaning. So let's start with the request. If you would look at Exodus 33, verse 18, just go back a few verses. Verse 18, Moses said, Please show me your glory. Please show me your glory. This is the request. Now, this story that we're entering into right here is a familiar story to many of us. Moses wants to see God's glory. But in its context, this request is somewhat surprising. Most of us know this story outside of its context, but we've been walking through uh, the passages that have led up to this request. And in its context... This request is somewhat surprising, and here's why. We saw last week that God was going to give Israel the promised land, but because of their sin, his presence wasn't going to go with them. His presence wasn't going to go with them, which according to Scripture and the Israelites was a disastrous word. Therefore, Moses intercedes on behalf of Israel and says something like this, if your presence will not go with us, don't send us. God responded, as we ended last week, God responded favorably to Moses' request. In verse 17, it says this, And the Lord said to Moses, This very thing that you have spoken, I will do. In other words, I will go. I will take you to the promised land. Not only will I give you the promised land, but my presence will go with you in the midst of you. For you, Moses, For you have found favor in my sight. And then God says this, And I know you, again Moses, I know you by name. It's important as we go through these passages that we see the the idea of name going back and forth here. At this point, it it just seems like Moses' intercession should be done. His mediation should be over. Moses was successful, in other words. Not only was God not going to destroy Israel because of their sin, not only was God going to give Israel the promised land, but his presence was going to go with Israel. What more can Moses ask for? You would think at this point, Moses' only response would be praise, worship, and thanksgiving. But it's not. He has another request. Verse 18, Moses said, Please show me your glory. Now, this isn't a new request. We saw this last week. If you would, just look a few verses before verse 13. He asks pretty much the same thing in verse 13. He says this, Now, therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways, that I may know you. Verse 13 is just another way of saying, Please show me your glory, show me your ways. Moses wants to know who Yahweh is. He wants to know his character. He wants to know his nature. He wants to know his glory. He wants to know his ways. He wants God to reveal himself. He wants to know him intimately. Remember, the main question behind Moses' intercession hasn't been answered yet. The question is this. How can a holy God live in the midst of a sinful people? That question 
has not been answered yet. How can a holy God live in the midst of a sinful people and not consume them with his holiness? How's this going to work, in other words? Right? This question hasn't been answered. And I think in this verse, in, in our passage this morning, we really see Moses' amazing insight on the nature of God. He's been paying attention to who God is. Again, we, where we left off last week, it seems like all is good. God's going to give Israel the promised land. His presence is going to go with them into the promised land. All is good. Well, Moses understood that there's still a problem. What is going to happen the next time Israel sins? Because they will. They are a stiff-necked people. So Moses just keeps pursuing God. Listen, Moses as a mediator, as an intercessor, is just unrelenting. He wants to know how this is going to work, and, and he knows the answer is found in the very nature of God himself, his character, his name. So he continues to pursue God. Moses asks, please show me your glory. In other words, reveal yourself to me. Show me your ways. Now look at verse 19. And he, this is God, and he said, I will make my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord, capital L-O-R-D, Yahweh. I want to be clear. I think that there's a correlation here that's meant to be seen. God's ways, God's glory, God's goodness, and God's name going to reveal these things to Moses. He's going to proclaim his name to Moses. And then he says this, and I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and show mercy to whom I will show mercy. And this really brings us back to the purpose of the Exodus as a whole. The main theme of the book of Exodus is God revealing his name. God is making his name known to Israel, to Egypt, to the, the, the Israelites, but beyond the Israelites, to the world. If you would turn to Exodus chapter 3, we're going to be turning back and forth a bunch of different places. So we'll be back in Exodus 33, but turn to Exodus 3 real quick with me. Verse 13. <coughs> This is the burning bush narrative. God goes to Moses and he tells Moses to go to the people, to the Israelites. He is sending Moses to Israel as their leader, as their deliverer. Moses is going to lead Israel out of Egypt. Look what it says in verse 13. This is Moses' response to God. Then, then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? If the question we hear, what is the name of this God, God of our fathers? What am I to say? Verse 14, God said to Moses, I am who I am. I am who I am. Now, many of your Bibles, probably not all of your Bibles, but many of your Bibles probably have a, a footnote which says, if you look down at the bottom, there's a footnote that says this could be translated, 
I will be what I will be, or I will be whoever I will be. This means there can be a future sense to this response that that Moses gets from God. And I think it fits the context because I believe God is saying something like this. Moses, I'm about to show you who I am. I'm about to show you, the Israelites and the Egyptians, who I am. Again, verse 14, God said to Moses, I am who I am, or I will be whoever I will be. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Now turn back to Exodus 33, verse 18. I wanted you to see that. Exodus 33, verse 18. Moses, again, here's the request. Moses said, please show me your glory. Reveal yourself to me, right? And God said, right? And he said, I will make my goodness pass before you and proclaim before you my name, Yahweh. Then he says this, and I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. Does that sound familiar? It's the same construction in Hebrew as Exodus 3, verse 14, where God said to Moses, I will be whoever I will be. It's the same exact construction in verse 19. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. Again, the same construction. The author is making a connection here. In our passage, God is finishing what he started at the burning bush. He's filling in the gaps. What it means that he is Yahweh, he's revealing his name to Moses. In Exodus 3 at the burning bush, again, I believe God was saying, I'm about to show you, Moses, who I am. And from Exodus 3 all the way to Exodus 33, God has been slowly revealing his name and his character and his nature. He's done this through his actions. Ten plagues, the Red Sea crossing, feeding the Israelites in the wilderness. He's revealed his name and his nature at Mount Sinai, appearing in fire and smoke and in glory. He's revealed his name through the law, the Ten Commandments, the Book of the Covenant, revealing God's character and nature. He's revealed his name through the tabernacle. God has been revealing his name throughout the book of Exodus. But listen, in our passage, he's going to finish what he started in Exodus chapter 3. He's going to tell Moses what it means that he is Yahweh. And the first thing he reveals is that he is sovereign. He is sovereign. He is the Lord. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and show mercy on whom I will show mercy. Now, this may be, and I think it is, a gentle way of reminding Moses who God is. Moses is doing a good job of being a mediator, but God's saying, hey, Moses, don't forget who I am. Kindly putting Moses back into his place, reminding Moses that he is God. I am God, and I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. But more importantly, God is revealing a key aspect of his nature. He is sovereign. He is sovereign, not man. Even when it comes to God's mercy and grace, he is sovereign. God is sovereign. He will show mercy to whom he will show mercy. 
And man cannot complain about this. Because Yahweh is sovereign, not man. It's in his rights to show mercy to whom he shows mercy. Again, I will be gracious to whom I'll be gracious and show mercy on whom I will show mercy. Paul actually picks up on this understanding of God's name in Romans 9. And he interprets it even further. So if you would, turn to Romans 9, 14. We'll be back. Turn to Romans 9 real quick in the New Testament. of God's name is so foundational and we'll see it's foundational in the Old Testament but it's also foundational in the New. Here's Paul in the New Testament answering a question. He says this in, in verse 14, Romans 9, 14. What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? In other words, is it is it unjust that God doesn't show mercy to everyone? Is that injustice on God's part? that he only shows mercy to a few? The answer, by no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it depends not on human will or exhortation, exertion, but on God who has mercy. In other words, There's nothing we can do to earn God's mercy. 100% depends on God. 100% depends on God and his merciful nature, his compassionate nature, his gracious nature. That's what it means that God is Yahweh. The very first thing that God reveals to Moses about his name is that he is sovereign. That's not the last thing he reveals. The revelation keeps going. So if you would, turn back to Exodus 33, verse 20. We see the request, Moses' request to see God's glory. Now let's look at the revelation. God is going to grant Moses' request. He's going to show Moses his glory, but, look at verse 20, Exodus 33, verse 20, but he said, cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. In other words, the, the full exposure of God's glory is dangerous to sinful man. That's why God always clouds his glory or veils it, like in the tabernacle. There was a veil that separated God's glory from man. That's to protect man. Because it's dangerous to, to see the full exposure of God's glory. Sinful man, even Moses, cannot see the full presence of God and live. So here's God's plan, verse 21. And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock, and while my glory passes by, I'll put you in a cleft of the rock, and I will cover you and my hand with my hand until I pass by. Now, the Bible's clear that God is spirit. It says this in John verse 24. God is spirit. That means he doesn't literally have a physical hand. So he's just using language here to help explain what he's going to do in a way that we could understand. He says, I'll put put you in a a cleft of the rock and I'll cover you with my hand until I have passed by. And then verse 23 says this, then I'll take away my hand 
and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. <coughs> you shall see my back. Again, this is not a physical back of God. Back here means something more, as I've studied this in the word and in the context here, it means something more like afterbirth. Again, God doesn't have a body. The best I can explain this, it's like when you're driving down to Bakersfield, and you see the glow of the lights before you can actually see the lights. You see the glow of the lights. You're not seeing the lights. You're just seeing the glow of the lights. Or another analogy that I could think of is right after the sun sets, it doesn't just turn to night, right? No. The glow of the sun still fills the earth with light. This is what God is going to show Moses. Not the direct exposure of his glory, but the afterglow. Look at Exodus 34, verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, Cut for yourself two tablets of stone like the first, and I'll write on the tablets the words that were on the first tablets which you broke. This makes it clear that God's plan here is to reestate the covenant. Reestate the covenant with Israel. The covenant that was broken because of Israel's sin. God is going to write the law on these new tablets, just like he did on the original tablets. This is good news, by the way, for Israel. Verse 2, let's keep going. Be ready by the morning and come up in the morning to Mount Sinai and present yourself there to me on the top of the mountain. No one shall come up with you and let no one be seen throughout all the mountain. No, let no flocks or herds graze opposite the mount, that mountain. So Moses cut two tablets of stone like the first and he rose early in the morning and went up on Mount Sinai, as the Lord had commanded him, and he took in his hand two tablets of stone. Now, here's the revelation. It's what we read earlier this morning, verse 5. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquities and transgressions and sins, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquities of the fathers on the children and on the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. And Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshipped. This is amazing passage. Again, so important. God shows his glory to Moses, but after meditating on this passage and just thinking about it, I want to point a few things out that I, that I think are interesting and we can learn from about this revelation. First, let me just ask a question. Who's the author of Exodus? Moses, right? Moses is the author. So just think about for, that for a second, because this means that this is a first-hand account of what happened on that mountain. An eyewitness of God's glory writing down what happened. This leads to a second observation. I think this is extremely important. Moses doesn't even attempt to describe what he saw. There's no description of God's glory whatsoever in this passage. Think about that for a second. Why doesn't Moses even try to describe what he saw? Maybe because it's beyond description. I think that's partly true. 
But what does Moses record? Not the description of God, what he saw. Instead, he records the proclamation of his name. Just just listen to this. The Lord passed before him. That's all we get on the description of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed. Here's the proclamation. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquities and transgression and sins, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquities of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. A detailed account of the proclamation of God's name, of his character. child, the theologian, writes this. This is a revelation of God in terms of his attributes rather than his appearance. Meaning, I want you to grasp this. The experience Moses had on that mountain, he wrote down what he thought was most important. The proclamation of God's name, and guess what? We have it. That's amazing. I think this teaches us something, something that the Bible is very consistent about. God is a God who is heard, not seen. God is a God who is heard, not seen. Again, Moses, the eyewitness, right? He he writes down what he heard, not what he saw. emphasis of this passage is on what Moses heard with his ears, not what he saw with his eyes. And that's because faith comes from hearing. Faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ or another way of saying the word of God. Romans 10, 17. Listen, our passage teaches us that the proclamation of God's name the proclamation of who God is, the proclamation of God's character is more important to our faith than a description of what Moses saw. That's why the proclamation of God's word is so important. And we know this proclamation is extremely important because the Old Testament authors refer to it over and over and over and over again in Scripture. Let me just give you some examples. Numbers 14, 18. The Lord is slow to to anger and abounding in steadfast love, forgiving iniquities and transgressions, but he will by no means clear the guilty, visiting iniquities of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation. Almost word for word, the proclamation that Moses heard. Jeremiah 32, 18. You show steadfast love to thousands, but you repay the guilt of the fathers on their children after them. O great and mighty God, whose name is the Lord, is Yahweh of hosts. Jeremiah, in other words, knows what Yahweh means. How does he know this? Exodus, the revelation of God's name to Moses. Joel 2.13, and rend your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God. For he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and he relents over disaster. Joel knows you can turn to God. Why? Because of the revelation of God's name to Moses. 
Moses. How about Jonah? Jonah 4, verse 2. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew, he knows something about God, I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abetting in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. How did Jonah know this? Exodus 34, the revelation of God's name. Nahum, (laughs) chapter 1, verse 3, the Lord is slow to anger and great in power, and the Lord will by no means clear the guilty. Psalm 86, 15, but you, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Psalm 103, verse 8, the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Psalm 145, verse 8, the Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Nehemiah 9, 17, they refused to obey and were not mindful of the wonders that you performed among them, but they stiffened their necks and appointed a leader to return to their slavery in Egypt. But you are a God ready to forgive. How does he know this? Gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and did not forsake them. Nehemiah knew this because of the revelation of God's name. Listen, this revelation of God's name becomes foundational to the entire Old Testament. Therefore, it's important. Again, I would claim it's the two most important verses of the Old Testament. I would also claim it's the clearest revelation of God we have in the Old Testament. Words God spoke in Exodus 34, 6 through 7 is what will finally bring comfort and assurance to Moses that God will be merciful to Israel. So this brings me to the meaning. Looked at the request, we looked at the revelation. Let's look at the meaning. I mean, these two verses are so important. Let's just take some time and just kind of break it down and look through the meaning of this revelation. Again, look at verse 6, Exodus 34, verse 6. It says this, The Lord, capital L-R-D, such Yahweh, Yahweh passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, or Yahweh, Yahweh. Why would God say his name twice? It's the only time in all of scripture that we see this happen, where God proclaims his name twice in a row. Here's what I think. It's a sign of intimacy. It's a sign of intimacy. God is revealing intimate knowledge about himself. I mean, think about it. There's something about knowing and using someone's personal name that shows a level of intimacy, friendship. When an officer pulls you over and you're speeding, usually don't use their first name, right? It's an officer. God is saying, here's my name. If there's anyone in authority that, that deserves respect, yet he intimately says, here's my name and here's what it means. Let me show you why I think that saying his name twice means and shows a level of intimacy. If you would turn to Genesis 22, verse 9, we'll be back in Exodus, but real quick, I want you to see this. 
Genesis 22, verse 9. This is where God asked Abraham to sacrifice Isaac. Very familiar story to most of us, if not all of us. Verse 9 says this, And they came to the place of which God had told him. Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order to bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Verse 10, Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. The angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, what? Abraham, Abraham. It's a sign of intimacy. Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. And he, this is God. And he said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know an intimate knowledge about Abraham. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Again, Abraham, Abraham. It's this, this, this sign of intimacy God has with Abraham. Turn to Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he laid his flock, uh, led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of the Lord. Verse 2. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of the bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not the Lord saw that he turned aside to see God called to him out of the bush. And what did he say? Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Again, this was a sign of intimacy. I know you by name, Moses. Moses, Moses. In fact, in, in our passage, in, in the last few weeks as we've been going through Exodus uh, 33, 32, and 34, we see Moses say over and over again, you know me by name, God. You know me by name. Moses is asking God to reveal his name to him now. So turn back to Exodus 34, verse 6. Verse 6, God says this, Yahweh Here's my name, Moses. And here's what it means. Yahweh, Yahweh, a God merciful and gracious. The, the very first thing that's revealed in this proclamation is that Yahweh is a God who is merciful and gracious. Merciful here, the Hebrew word probably means something more like compassionate. It's related to, to a mom being pregnant and having uh, a baby within the womb. It's like a parents' compassionate love for a child. Even if the child's disobedient, that love just doesn't fail. It's merciful. Gracious denotes a disposition of favor. God's gracious. Slow to anger, meaning God is patient with man. He's slow to anger. 
words, you will wait a long time before being wrathful. In fact, this was convicting. I'm so quick. I'm so quick to write people off. And God slow to anger, giving people an opportunity to repent and grow. We see this understanding in 2 Peter 3, verse 9. It says this, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises, as some count slowness. Jesus to come back, right? But he's not slow to fulfill that promise. But he is patient toward you. Not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. He's slow to anger. That's God's character. That's what it means that he's Yahweh. And abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Abounding just means exceeding what we could anticipate. It's abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. The the Hebrew word translated steadfast love is related to the idea of covenant. It's a love that is forged through the covenant God has made with his people. He's steadfast in that love. And that's why it's connected to the word faithfulness. God is faithful to those faithful to love those who he's in a covenant relationship with no matter what they do better believe that relates to marriage example for us keeping steadfast love for thousands forgiving iniquities and transgression and sins meaning God's not just compassionate he's not just just loving he's also willing to forgive our iniquities transgressions and sins keeping steadfast love for thousands. He's merciful, he's gracious, he's loving, he's forgiving, but he's also just. Verse 7, end of verse 7 says this, but he will by no means clear the guilty. God is just, visiting the iniquities of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. Now, just a side note here, because this verse is being abused today all over the place. This does not mean that children pay the penalty for the sins of their fathers. Ezekiel 18 makes this extremely clear. Ezekiel 18 verse 20 says this, The soul, or or the individual, the soul whose sins shall die, the son shall not suffer for the iniquities of the father, nor the father suffer for the iniquities of the son. In other words, we are responsible for our own sin, but that doesn't mean the consequences of our sins don't affect our children, because they do. And this is what Exodus 34, 7 is saying, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquities of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. In other words, there is consequences and patterns of sins that last for generations. Listen, God will by no means clear the guilty because he is just. He is just and holy. But God's justice, I want to be clear in this proclamation, is not the focal point. It's not the main thrust thrust of his proclamation. It's, it's God's compassion, grace, and willingness to forgive. 
I think you see that in the numbers that are being used. I think these numbers are intentional. He visits the iniquities on the third and the fourth generation, but keeps steadfast love for thousands of generations. I think we are meant to contrast these numbers. Again, three and four generations, thousands of generations. The point is God is ready to forgive. That's who God is. And I think Moses gets it. Because in verse 8, Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshipped. And he makes one final request. Verse 9, he said, If now I have found favor in your sight, O Lord, please let the Lord go in the midst of us, for it is a stiff-necked people. Do you see the dilemma? God, go with us, be in the midst of us, but we are sinners. This is the question. How is this going to work out? Well, Moses knows how this is going to work out now because he says this, and pardon our iniquities and our sin. In other words, Moses is asking God to be true to his nature, to be true to his name, which means forgiving iniquities, transgression, and sin. Moses is asking God to just be true to that nature, pardon our iniquity and our sin, and take us for your inheritance. It is through the revelation of God's name that Moses finally has assurance that God will forgive Israel's sins. It's through this revelation of God's name that Moses now is ready to continue to lead the people lead him to the promised land. As we'll see next week, he's, he's ready to continue to lead the people to have the tabernacle built. He finally has assurance. He understands how this is going to work. God is forgiving. Now, before we end today, I want to point one more thing out about God's name that I think is extremely important. Again, Yahweh means that God is both 100% merciful and gracious. Verse 6, it says this, A God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquities and transgression and sin. But at the same exact time, God is holy, just, and wrathful. But who will by no means clear the guilty? Visiting the iniquities of the fathers, on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. Yahweh is both 100% perfectly merciful and gracious, yet at the same time, just and wrathful. Now, even though the main thrust is on God's mercy and grace, that he's willing to forgive, that's what Moses understands by this proclamation, it still creates a dilemma dilemma within the the very meaning of God's name. How can he be both? How can God be both 100% merciful, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquities and transgression and sins, yet just, who will by no means clear the guilty? There's a dilemma there. This question is how these two attributes come together Because there seems to be a contradiction within the very nature of God. I don't even think Moses 
has this answer. I think he just trusts God. I think many of the Old Testament states struggled with this. How, how can God be both forgiving, merciful, and just at the same time? The question still remains in, in the Old Testament. God is both merciful. He will pardon the guilty. He will forgive. And just. He will by no means clear the guilty. <laughs> these attributes coincide. Again, it's a dilemma in the Old Testament, but it's answered in the New. And the answer is the cross. For God's perfect justice is poured out on Jesus so that God's perfect mercy can be poured out on us. I want you to get the significance of this. This means very meaning of God's name, Yahweh. The meaning found in Exodus 32, 6 through 7, this proclamation that is just so important to the entire Old Testament, foundational, quoted over and over and over again by Old Testament saints. The name of Yahweh points us to Jesus, <coughs> points us to the cross, where the dilemma of God's name is answered, where mercy and justice can be each other. The cross is at the center of what it means that God is Yahweh. Meaning, whatever Moses saw on the mountain, the glory of God, it pointed forward to the cross. The glory of God is seen. actually reminds me of one of my favorite songs. I sang it this morning. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Let me just end today by reading the first two verses of this song. It says this. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light Here's the second verse. Listen to this. Turn your eyes to the hillside. That's the cross. Where justice and mercy embrace. There the Son of God gave his life for us. And our measureless debt was erased. Thank you for the consistency that we see throughout Scripture, Lord. That you are a God ready to forgive, to pour out grace. But that grace is only found through your Son, where you can be just and merciful, just and gracious at the same time. God, I thank you so much for the assurance that the character, the nature, the, the name, assurance that not only did it give Moses, but the assurance that it gives me, Lord, a sinner, a sinner saved by grace, that it has nothing to do with me, but 100% who you are and what you 
tempted by sin in your son to die for you on the cross. Lord, I pray if there's anyone 